Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. The future of computing is quantum computing and an Irishman is at the helm. Joe Fitzsimons' Horizon Quantum Computing is a business he started in Singapore and it's about to create 10 new jobs in Dublin over the next six months. He talks about the quantum computing revolution will overshadow the tech revolution we've seen so far. Just hoping to kind of hear more about what what it is you're proposing. Quantum computing, when I think of quantum computing, I think obviously it's 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 it sounds futuristic, but it's here in so many ways. And I suppose the best analogy for it is if you think of digital as a series of dots and dashes uh, or pulses of electricity, you just turn quantum into a kind of a three or four dimensional version of that in terms of information. Is that a, is that a bit of a crude description of what quantum computing is? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, what quantum computing is doing is, is trying to harness physical effects to process information more efficiently. Hmm. Um, so the the model of computing that we've used, you know, since the 1940s has, it, it turns out it has this kind of baked in model of physics that you wouldn't necessarily think of. But even just in the way you store information as zeros or zeros and ones, or, you know, if it's not a if it's not a binary system, maybe you have zeros, ones, twos, threes, whatever. But it turns out in nature, there are other kinds of states, hmm. states that can't be represented in this way. Um, and these, you know, these show up mostly in quantum mechanics, in quantum superpositions and entangled quantum states. And there's just no way to represent them in a conventional computer um, in a compact way. So, what quantum computing is doing is essentially realizing that there is this extra set of this extra set of states, this extra set of operations for manipulating them that can be used in computation. If you can build hardware that is sufficiently well isolated from its environment, um, that it can manipulate these that it can manipulate these states without all of the quantum effects getting washed out just from errors and interaction with interaction with the environment around it. Um, so as you say, it sounds futuristic and it is, and it's still some way away. Mm. Um, we're at a point where we're seeing the first quantum processors. Um, well, we've had quantum processors for a little while, but we've started to see them, uh, scale up, get to larger amounts of memory, uh, get to a point where they're starting to, starting to exceed conventional computers for certain very specific tasks. Hmm. Um, but we're not yet at the point where those are useful tasks. So we know that quantum computers that exist today are hard to simulate. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't really make them useful yet. So we're in this kind of gray period between hmm. uh, between the chips being hard to simulate um, and them being actually useful, doing useful work that's affecting companies' bottom lines, for example. So would you say a very another crude analogy would be maybe we're in the 80s version of computing where it's Sinclair Spectrum 48K devices compared with the Pentium coming along de- a decade later and the, the explosion that might bring? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think it's 1948. 1948, like we're okay, really we're even further back. <laughs> we're not yeah. even at the calculator stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the one of the interesting things is that over the last few years, it had been that the rate of which qubits in quantum devices was doubling. So qubit is the basic unit of quantum information. It's like the quantum equivalent of a bit. Right. Um, and the amount of memory in these devices is tiny. Um, 
And it had grown slowly from two bits to four bits and so on. But the amount of time taken to double the amount of memory was roughly every five years hmm. for, for a long time, for, you know, for the 20 years up to 2015, let's say. Um, so that's much slower than Moore's Law. That's about three times slower than Moore's Law. Right. However, recently there has been an uptick in this, and it's going more like doubling once every nine months, which is about twice as fast as Moore's Law. Oh. So in some sense, you can see potentially progress accelerating um, much faster than it did with classical computing if we see this trend continue for, you know, in the near to medium term. Um, so we may be we may be moving from 1948 forward, but we may be doing it more than one year at a time. So while, I, while we're talking over Zoom, it, it might as well be like the equivalent of, of talking down a phone line in, say, 1948. But zooming forward, when, when quantum computing becomes more prevalent, it's that jump into into the world we know now only eons faster what 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 quantum computing look like in society do you imagine i mean uh when when it becomes something that's commonplace i mean and I, as you say we're 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 at 1948 uh in 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 comparative terms with computing of today um but at that speed that you're talking about you know we could be at a situation where you know we could see quantum computing devices in businesses and homes maybe in the next 20 years what i would say is that a lot of the technology that is currently used for quantum computing, um, it doesn't lend itself very easily to on-prem systems, to having a device on your premises. Right, so be in the cloud maybe, or be done remotely, maybe you'd be interacting with a central system. Yeah, and you already see that IBM, AWS, uh, you know, many of the cloud providers have quantum systems that you can access over their clouds right now. Wow. Um, and this is kind of true because they are, operate at really extreme low temperatures or need ultra high vacuum or something like this. And this is just not something that most businesses would have the infrastructure for. Mm. Um, But again, this is one of the differences between now and 1948 is that we have the internet now and we didn't in 1948. So it's much easier to hook up um, it's much easier to hook these devices up over the internet. Like I, I, do, I, do, I do remember in the 50s, people were talking about, oh, I think it was IBM, they, they had this kind of computer that basically was basically a giant calculator. And there's a, well, this, in a very misogynistic way, it was going, oh, well, this will enable the, 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 the homekeeper to, 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 do, to put together their shopping list. You know, little did the world know about what computing could do. Um, but, but in terms of, you know the kind of applications i mean i'm thinking of like supercomputing applications at the moment that you can make you can like there's nothing to stop a human being today having a computer just connected to the web that is in turn connected to a supercomputer somewhere in the world could be down in in waterford it could be in somewhere in, in america and you can get to do complex calculations and that's 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 miraculous and amazing compared to what you could have done maybe 20 years ago 30 years ago um will quantum computing be much the same or will it touch our daily lives in, in, in a very profound way So, I mean, I think the first applications we're likely to see of quantum computing um, will be around those uses where high-performance computing is currently used. Hmm. Um, First applications are very likely in areas like chemistry uh, and pharma, where there is a strong link um, to quantum mechanics. Hmm. It turns out that quantum mechanical computers are just better at simulating quantum mechanics than conventional computers. Hmm. Um, and so you can see a very large speed up there and the overhead for encoding is low. 
So you might expect to see good results with relatively near-term computers. Hmm. Um, as you move beyond that and you talk about other kinds of applications, applications in finance, for example, uh, applications in engineering, for example, in computational fluid dynamics, where you're simulating fluid flow, you know, whether it be air over um, like a turbine or over an airfoil, or whether it be, uh, you know, water flow, um, anything like this, um, you know, you would expect to see a lot of these type of applications see quantum accelerations. Mm. Um, one of the, you know, one of the main issues we run into at the moment is that the number of people that are in any way expert in quantum algorithms is very, very small. It's only a couple of hundred people worldwide. Wow. Um, and that means when it comes to, you know, putting together these applications, thinking about where can quantum computing be applied, we're pretty restricted. You know, if you say, well, what about like geophysics in oil and gas? What about, um, you know, what about simulating solar cells? What about simulating the light field in uh, lithography when you're etching silicon chips? You know, all of these things are things where you would expect to see a large speed up on a quantum computer. But the number of people that are expert both in that domain, the domain of the problem and in quantum algorithms is zero. You know, there are precisely zero people that are experts in computational geophysics and in quantum computing. That, that probably brings us neatly to yourself. Uh, what, what is your journey into quantum? I mean, you're, you're leading the uh, arrival of Horizon Quantum Computing to, to Dublin. You're setting up an operation in Dublin. Uh, you're leading the charge on that. Um, tell me about your own journey into, into, into quantum computing, quantum physics. I mean, it sounds, uh, you know, very, very deep tech at the same time, you know, how far back does your fascination with quantum computing go? Yeah, I mean, it goes it goes back a long way. Um, so uh, I got into quantum computing um, around 2004. Hmm. Um, so I had, uh, I did my undergrad in UCD, and I think that's where I was first exposed to it. Um, there was a, a course in fourth year that you could take um, that, that covered quantum computing. Um, so I, you know, I had wanted to work on a kind of frontier technology. I thought that would be cool. Um, you know, uh, That's about as frontier as it gets right now. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But uh, so I, I, you know, I, I thought at the time, like, I better go off and get a PhD. Otherwise, no one's going to let me work on really cool stuff. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I should say this is wrong. Right, <laughs> like you don't you don't actually need to go this path, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, so I I went off. Uh, I did my PhD uh, working on quantum computing. I thought it'd be like I thought it was the technology that had the highest chance of being able to kind of relive the the experience of like the personal computing. Uh, revolution or something like this. Yeah, it, it, it's it sounds similar in a lot of respects, but obviously capability-wise and complexity, eons beyond. Yeah, I mean, I was only about fifteen years wrong on my, <laughs> on my timeline. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what got me into it. I, you know, before setting up Horizon, I had been working for quite a long time as a professor in the space. Mm. Um, in Singapore, uh, and then myself and some of my group members decided that the pendulum was swinging a bit more towards industry, that that's where the progress was going to happen uh, from now on, or at least where the bulk of it was going to happen. 
Well, I, I often think, you know, uh, when you think about entrepreneurs, uh, and I think some entrepreneurs I know are probably the bravest people I know, uh, because it's not easy doing business, it's not easy being in business, but you've kind of somehow married uh, the uh, fascination and the progressing of this technology with actually establishing a business around it. Uh, so you set up Horizon in 2018 in, in, in Singapore. Um, how have you managed to marry running a business with also pushing the boundaries of technology? Well, I mean, in some sense, that's what our company does. So, you know, we're right at the at the deep end of deep tech. Um, what we've been focused on entirely is developing tools um, to make it easier to program quantum computers, to solve this gap of the fact that there are just not people who are experts in each of these domains and in quantum computing. And how do we make it more like conventional software engineering? So the way I think about it is, you know, kind of if we're, you know, if we're in the equivalent of 1948, how do we, how do we make 70 years worth mm. of computer software progress in seven years? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for us as a company, that's where a lot of our value is going to be tied up in for a long time. Mm. It will always be in IP in pushing forward the the technology on the software side um, in terms of the tools for being able to do, um, it, for being able to create quantum applications, applications that really harness quantum computing to solve hard problems. Hmm. Um, but also in terms of how you solve some of the technical problems around making use of this hardware in the cloud, because hmm. suddenly you get into problems around um, around confidentiality of information. You know, you have data protection laws that restrict uh, what our personally identifiable information can be run on a system that is not based in Europe, that's maybe in, in New York. Uh, you have questions about running, trade, you know, uh, calculations that inherently embody trade secrets on systems where there's no encryption, there's no protection over the data. Mm. Um, so it's something that we had worked a lot on um, over the last decade or so um, and had made a good progress towards solutions on. Um, but for us, a lot of, you know, a lot of the value of the company is going to be tied up in pushing forward that boundary. Very good. And would your client, is it fair to say that you guys would make your money in a crude way, sorry, in business terms, you make your, your, your business runs on basically through selling tools and working as maybe on a, on a, on a consultant level with, with, with clients. Is that, is that how, 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 how Horizon makes its, its income? What I would say is that there are a lot of companies in the space that work in a kind of consulting mode. Hmm. Um, we don't do that. Ah. So we're focused purely on, on developing tools and on pushing the technology forward. And, and can I ask you, another thing that came into my mind there was like, okay, we're 1948 in quantum computing terms, uh, if we are in 1948. Does the history of tech in the 20th century lend a possible path as to how this could go? Or do you think because of the sheer, sheer I suppose, advanced nature of quantum computing and, and everything else, is that probably it's best not to not to be drawn by the history and actually forge your own path and you know you know you're not you know we're not going to see another steve jobs in the in in the quantum computing version of 1980 you know or 90, late 1970s either you know what i mean it's it's just do, do is it better just to kind of almost avoid any lessons of history and kind of say well this is completely new um no i think i i think it makes a lot of sense to be conscious of the history of mm. conventional computing mm. um 
there is a trap that sometimes we can get sucked into by looking at computing as it currently stands mm. and thinking that quantum computing, if it's not matching up to exactly where computing's at right now, then it's not it's not useful. So an example of this is there's a particular memory problem uh, that people care about um, to develop a kind of quantum equivalent of random access memory. Um, and having this kind of device would be extremely useful in terms of enabling um, big data problems, enabling uh, a lot of machine learning algorithms for which we know there are very, very large speedups. Um, but one of the things that researchers will sometimes get caught up on is, you know, comparing it to modern RAM. Like that's what we're shooting for. If we don't have the equivalent of modern RAM, we're in trouble. But it turns out that you can have something far less efficient than modern RAM, and you'll still see a large speed up. And if you, you know, if you look back at the history of, you know, computer memories, you see a lot of different architectures before we got to the kind of you know, SD-RAM and things like this, mm. you see, um, you see, for example, ferric core memories. Um, you see mercury delay lines. Um, there's been all sorts of different kind of technologies that we've passed through to get to the current state. Um, and I think even just being conscious of the fact that there is this path of refinement um, is extremely useful in thinking about how you approach quantum computing, how you develop the technology, how the technology may progress. I suppose in another crude term, it's like, why do you need a sledgehammer to crack a nut? You know, if, if something can be kind of more elegant and refined way of doing it, um, you know, because you, you, you are talking about, you know, I, you know, it's it's it, it, it's it's technology, but it's not the same technology. It's 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 you're, you're dealing with physical state storage. As you mentioned there, it's um, you know, it requires a different mindset. You know, uh, I, I I think it's fascinating what you're doing here. And what what was it? I mean, I know I know you you you're an Irish man, and and obviously you you grew up here, and and you're well aware of your your capabilities and many of the capabilities of your classmates in college. And that, you know, but what what was it that made you choose Ireland to 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 put to locate this this operation here um i know you started in singapore with this business but you know here you are you bring the business to ireland is it is it out of uh i know is it out of uh, love of your country is it out of no actually it's not it doesn't really boil down to just that it's actually the capabilities are here you know in a cool logical way you know what what, what was it that made you choose choose dublin i should first of all say that obviously we're not leaving singapore we have our our main office there um but in terms of Dublin, we see it as building up a kind of our engineering center. Mm. So, so particularly focusing on software engineering. Um, we looked at a number of different locations. Turns out Singapore is not ideal for this. Um, we looked at a number of different locations. I think we looked at eight different locations um, between Asia, mostly in Europe and also North America. Um, we evaluated them on a number of different axes in terms of availability of talent, um, you know, in in terms of uh, ease of movement, um, in terms of ease of doing business and different, different factors like this. Um, you know, Ireland is in a pretty unique position. Um, one of the constraints we'll have in quantum computing is not just... Um, is not just hiring software engineers, but also how we hire you know, from this small pool of people that are mm. very experienced in quantum computing. 
Um, and they're kind of scattered throughout the world, um, North America, Europe, Asia, Australia. Um, and being in Dublin, it gives us a very large uh, pool to draw from because we can draw both from the local pool here and, uh, you know, Trinity, for example, has just started a master's program in uh, in quantum technologies. Mm. Um so, you know, we would expect there to be an increasing number of people with exposure to quantum computing over the coming years. Mm-hmm. But also we can draw from both the EU pool and from the UK pool. Very good. And, and like, um, how many people will, will initially be employed in the, in the new business here in Dublin? As I'm imagining, because of the nature and the skill set, it won't be like, it's not like you're creating hundreds and hundreds of jobs here. It'll, it'll be quite small initially. So, uh, so for us, at first, we have 10 positions earmarked for Dublin, mm-hmm. um, but we are hiring more than that globally. So it may be that some of those other jobs also end up in Dublin. It will, you know, for the science roles in particular, we'll hire to either location depending on where people are based. Very good. Well, with that, uh, Joe, welcome home and, and great to see you, uh, you know, an Irishman start a business somewhere else in the world, but bring it back to Dublin. It's quite cool and uh, it's great. And also also to see where the boundaries of technology are being pushed. Usually um, Ireland, you know, we've benefited over the years from from many companies coming from Silicon Valley to locate in Dublin and, and around the country to, to manufacture chips, etc. You know, who knows what you're doing here in Dublin may lend itself to, to future industry in the country in, in the next in the coming decades. So thanks thanks for your time. Oh thanks thanks very much. Thank you.